0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask Expert webinar, The Secret to Success in Class 1 and Deep, Class One and 2 Deep Bite Overcorrection with Invisalign with Dr. Bob Boyd. You'll learn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you'll receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificates at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will be automatically added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you're able to listen to today's program via the webcast, and throughout the webinar you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today on the Education tab of your Invisalign doctor's site, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Ask Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Bob Boyd. Dr. Bob Boyd reached the level of Invisalign Elite Advantage provider in 2005 and has provided Invisalign treatment to patients at his private practice in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1998. He is a member of the Clinical Advisory Board for Align Technology and was the principal investigator for the first study of Invisalign treatment in 1998. He is currently the Frederick T. West Endowed Chair in the Department of Orthodontics at the Arthur A. Dugoni School of Dentistry of the University of the Pacific in San Francisco. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Boyd. Dr. Boyd, you now have the floor. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm very pleased to
1: be here. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for that nice introduction, David. So today we're going to talk about sufficient anterior root torque, and I feel that that's the secret to success for deep overbite correction in Class two and Class three treatment. We don't see many deep bite class threes, but the things that I'll be talking about today would apply to that occasional uh, class three uh, deep bite. And of course, I like always start out with a pre and post where uh, you're seeing this young, uh, this teenager in what I would consider a very good result. um, And this is sort of the focus of the next hour and 10 minutes. I have to put out a usual disclaimer that What I'm saying is just my opinion, and it's not aligned technologies. And I always start my lectures off with my greatest mentor, who was Arthur Adegoni, who the school here is named after, who still uh, comes in three days a week. I'm very lucky to have him teaching in our department. He's a great inspiration for many of us. So what are we going to do today? Why is deep overbite correction with ideal anterior root torque important? Is there clinical evidence that Invisalign can correct deep overbite? Um, I want to review briefly some recent improvements in Invisalign that have made deep overbite correction more predictable. And that comes from the R&D and product development team. This will include intraoral scanning, G3, G4 attachment releases, power ridges, smart track, better tracking to avoid collisions, the team product, the compliance indicators in particularly, and Vivera retainers. And then I'll go into a series of case examples and show you the clean checks of uh, patients who had uh, deep bite class one and class two. And my opinion in this morning's presentation will be that these changes in my practice have led to fewer case refinements and mid-course corrections with greater predictability for deep bite correction. Now, first off, why is it important? Well, if you look through the literature, literally all of the great pioneers in orthodontics, uh, Larry Andrews, Ricketts, Prophet, Schutte, Roth, Creekmore, and many others have said, you have to get the ideal interincisal angle. And so on the left, you see a pre-treatment uh, superimposition of the patient, the first patient that you saw when I opened. And you can look on the right and see the uh, long axes traced out. And the initial interincisal angle, which is located right where those two lines come together, was uh, quite obtuse. Whereas we know that the ideal interincisal angle is probably about 130 degrees, give or take, Uh, Three or four degrees. Now, why else is it important? Well, because it can be associated with palatal impingement in a case like this on the left, or uh, extreme uh, anterior tooth wear, as you see in this picture that Bill Geary gave me on the right. So, actually, this is just the opposite of an anterior open bite, which usually leads to excessive posterior wear over time. The other question, does uh, deep overbite cause TMD or myofascial pain? No. Very clear. Lots of studies have been done on that. McMare had a series of good reviews. Does deep overbite cause distal positioning of the condyles? No. But follow-up, does distal positioning of the condyles cause TMD? And the literature is also fairly clear that it is not a direct causative factor. So, what about Invisalign and TMD? Well, actually, it's just the opposite of what studies have shown with Fix, which is that the number stays the same. Some get it, some don't get it during treatment. If they had it before, they may get it during, and the percentage stays the same. Whereas with Invisalign, uh, Tim Wheeler's study and also uh, Reggie Mecca from Berlin have published two studies where they showed that the incidence of myofascial pain Syndromes, clenching, brushing, and so forth, sore muscles actually go away. So, in other words, Invisalign is actually therapeutic in the, in the care of a patient with mild facial pain. Another important reason is aesthetics. If you look at this patient on the left, the pretreatment, and then look on the right, you'll see that uh, getting the teeth in the proper alignment and also Getting the uh, gingival margins equal and getting the correct torque uh, made the result more aesthetic. Sometimes we widen the arch and other things, but a much more aesthetic result. And also, if you look on the uh, below that the profile, you'll see that this girl had very very thin lip to begin with. But the torquing of her incisors and the post treatment on the uh, right side that I had the mouse on, uh, you can see she has improved lip support with increased vermilion border and fullness, which of course is considered an element of, an aesthetic element of importance. Now, one of the things that's not completely clear is, is opening the bite at this certain angle, is it make things more stable? And the answer is that that's really not proven because the long-term studies that have been done, have shown that deep overbite is one of the most relapse-prone problems that we treat. And I would say that Invisalign is really no different uh, in a given result, and so we would expect to uh, have some retention necessary on a long-term basis. But the theory behind this angle, this 130 degrees, is that the the, uh, teeth are less likely to erupt than they are when they are vertically positioned. Now, so the reality is, of course, very relapse prone. And most of the time we think in terms of lifetime retention. Dr. Sadowski wrote an article a number of years ago and found out that really, even if you keep a lower three to three on or retainers on for many years, when you take them off, uh, the overbite can relapse. Many case reports or is there clinical evidence that uh, Invisalign can correct it? And of course, there's many case reports, myself and others, but case reports are the lowest form of evidence. And uh, there's a recent article just came out uh, by Castro Florio, uh, the group from Padua, uh, Italy, and they found that in, in this prospective longitudinal clinical study in the journal Clinical Orthodontics, that these consecutive Invisalign cases with deep overbite had an average increase in anterior root torque of 10 degrees and significant correction of the deep overbite. So that was, uh, this is the first really solid evidence of this happening, just recently published last month in the June issue, rather in the June issue, yeah. And then uh, also in the German orthodontic journal in 2011, Now, they didn't have any severe overbites, but they had moderate ones. And first off, they found the ClinCheck models were very, very accurate when they measured them against the the actual occlusion. And they found that rotations were corrected almost completely with no additional correction needed and no overcorrection. So, in other words, one set of aligners took care of the alignment issues and some opening of the bite. The final clincheck models, though interestingly enough, showed that there was a slightly greater overjet in the uh, of almost a half a millimeter, point four, and almost a millimeter for the overbite difference between the post-treatment result. And I think that's useful information because it shows that, in my mind, usually I will correct a deep overbite uh, with some overcorrection or additional correction to a shallower overbite because I'm anticipating that I might not get 100%. Now, also, in that another study that I just found, uh, last night, as a matter of fact, I just put this in this morning uh, in the Journal of the World Federation of Orthodontics, just uh, come out. Uh, That's a newer journal, an electronic journal. And they used the ABO grading system to evaluate 119 cases of discrepancy index of 10 to 20, because they're using, of course, the ABO discrepancy index to describe the severity and the ABO grading to rate the improvement. And what they found in that study that it was effective for mild to moderate cases for alignment and buccal-lingual inclinations. But as one might expect, when you look at the posterior occlusion, Because of the open bite that frequently occurs with Invisalign, which I'm going to talk about in just a little while, how you can uh, get that to go away fairly quickly, uh, that there were some points lost in that category. But still, basically uh, now we're getting some pretty good studies showing Invisalign is effective. Now, intraoral scanning is one of the things, big things, that I think is going to give you better results. Going to have happier patients. And better results. And of course, we all know about scanning. Scanning essentially replaces the PVS impression, so that when you get your ClinCheck models back, they will uh, hopefully be very accurate. And I'll show you uh, some up close uh, views of scans, and you can kind of see what that the the quality of the resolution is. So I think most of you know about scanners. Uh, just hopefully everybody's. Uh, using these now and they have a new model that's much quicker and not doesn't weigh so much. I was down in uh, Costa Rica at a line about a year and a half ago and Dr. Jason Ramos showed me a number of patients who under high magnification that had a model taken with a PVS and a model taken with a scan and we looked at the surface and if you look at the surface on these teeth what you see is detail that you just don't see with a PVS impression, which typically leaves them a little flatter. So the sort of given amount now is that a PVS impression was good to a tenth of a millimeter, and scanning seems to be good, twice as good, at 0.05 millimeters. And of course, we all know that the experience for the patient is wonderful. And, and for me, it's been a good marketing tool. They put it on the website, and I have a couple of assistants now that can start to finish, scan somebody seven to eight minutes for both arches, and, uh, and then a minute or so to download, and then they send it on with a prescription. So no rejected impressions. How? What more could you ask for than that? And uh, my assistants learned this actually fairly quickly, probably a couple of three weeks. And the other one is that, you know, unlike impressions, the images are not distorted by patient movement. So all of these things are making a better starting point with Invisalign. And of course, when you send it electronically, you get a faster turnaround on the clincheck. Many times I see it within a day or two. And also, the recent improvements in Invisalign that made things better, of course, comes from the R&D team headed by John Morton, who I think has done an amazing job with Invisalign with his uh, work as chief engineer. And so what he and his team have done is develop these new tools since the end of 06 to improve product performance. And he does that, of course, by employing engineering principles. And uh, so we have many new things that have come out. And of course, the big ones were the G3 and G4 Release, which in a sense is still going on today. Now, what John has done is unlike the usual method of somebody having an image and drawing a design of an appliance and then putting it in the mouth to see if it gives the desired movement, and maybe somebody 10 years later tries to study the force system, John, on the other hand, plots the movement determines the force system, and then the appliance is designed according to that. And what he's got now uh, is this uh, tooth-moving machine, and now the, the teeth that can measure the forces are the entire arch. So a lot of computing power for this, and you can measure movement and forces with six degrees of freedom. And what you come up with, of course, with this, is that you can find the force distribution around an attachment for example and you can see how it's concentrated on the active surface of the attachment and of course power ridges which comes into today's uh discussion for deep ice uh also and they're just localized thickenings making the aligner a little stiffer so they provide force a a certain distance away from where, for instance, a bracket would be the, the distance for a bracket in an edgewise wire, the two, the, the two points of the moment are very close. Whereas with Invisalign, you've got a point on the, a stabilizing point on the lane wall, and then you've got this large ridge here. So you have a very significantly effective moment to force ratio. And torquing auxiliars over the years, the Ford, the Begg, have all been designed to try and maximize this increased uh, distance. And so what a power ridge does essentially then is to push at this point, and then it has a restraining force. Now the restraining force goes away though if the tooth is retracting or it's minimized. So you can combine retraction and torquing that way. And of course we have power ridges for the lower, and hopefully someday soon we'll have them available for all teeth. How do these things work? Well, what you do is you have a pre and post clin check, and then you, of course, have a pre and post position when you take another scan at the end of treatment, and then you can compare the two and you can measure the angular difference. And when you do that, you can find, and, and of course, Align did a study that I participated in a number of years ago on these power ridges. And so their software can measure these changes very, very accurately, the angular change. And this is just one patient on an upper lateral incisor showing how in treatment from uh, the initial to the uh, final, how the torque uh, appeared and how it was measured. And then, of course, the idea is to, the, the ClinCheck provides one model. But the scan at the end of the treatment provides the absolute uh, point or what was achieved. And of course, what we know from that study is that we were getting 55 to 80 percent of the torque that we put in. This is another one for a central incisor. Again, I this is you may have seen this this material several years old, but I just wanted to know there's been a lot of thought put into these power ridges and a lot of study this is one of the patients from that study and you can see the central incisors are severely retro inclined this is a relapse class two division one and you can see i've opened the bite and uh, torqued that incisor this is that just shows the intraorals now the number to look at here on the superimposition is the upper incisor to sn which went from initially 97 to or excuse me, 85 initially to 97 at the end. And also the interincisal angle decreased quite a bit, not quite to the ideal 130 degrees, but certainly a significant uh, improvement. And this is the superimposition of that patient. And when we measure this cephalometrically, we got exactly the same amount of degrees as the uh, Invisalign software found in the superimposition. Of course, uh, I have to put this into, you know, we have not seen root resorption in the study at uh, USC, which has been reported several times, and one in Florida Wheeler has reported that in the patients that they looked at, they had no observable root resorption, even where there were pointed uh, apices, even with intrusion and torquing movement. So that's one way uh, we've got some new products. And of course attachment shapes, I think just about everybody knows about this, that we have two kinds of attachments, some that hold on and some that actually move the teeth now. And uh, they are for rotations of round T's, root control for bodily movement and uh, extrusion. And one of the most exciting attachments that has come out is the new ones just come out this year for lateral incisors, they're very small, and we've looked at these carefully in the Clinical Advisory Board, and we feel like they are the best thing that's happened yet. Uh, sometimes on an adult, especially a middle-aged adult, we might increase the number of stages if you have a narrow lateral incisor, because again, it's it's the most difficult tooth to track, but certainly these new attachments which from stage one have an active force pushing on this resultant vector, this flat surface. And of course the teeth are moved simultaneously from beginning to end. And so these uh, attachments then are pushing in the overall vector that you want the tooth to move. They're placed by algorithms. And of course, also if you have a rotation of course you want to get a moment so on the lingual side there will be a spot which is putting a lighter force to help with the rotation and of course the forces all range between 30 and 40 grams and that's one of the big reasons why we think that there isn't any root resorption because that in a couple of studies have been shown to, to prevent hyalinization. so we're working with force levels that are below the level that would normally cause hyalinization in the periodontal ligament. So, and of course, for extrusion, there's a very specific angle that's formed on these extrusion uh, attachments by an algorithm. And again, this active force pushes them down, whether you're doing multiple teeth. And of course, all this has been analyzed very thoroughly. And it seems like these attachments are working quite well. The newest version, they're about a third the size of these and so far they seem to be working pretty well too. So besides attachment shapes, we have improvement of composites for attachments, which I won't cover today, but I invite you to go to the website to see that information, because hopefully you're all using the right composites, which are filled composites used for posterior uh, composite restorations. Those form the best ones from. Where color stability, and so forth. But another thing that John and his team came up with is better tools to measure teeth. And so back in the beginning, the early days with the line, we only measured the crown and movement in three places. And that was a big problem if you were trying to do something like torque, because it might only show three linear movements of a quarter of a millimeter at the incisal edge, but the apex might be moving bodily eight or nine millimeters. And so we didn't have an effective tracking system. So now the way it works is you have a long axis and these six points. And if you go down to Costa Rica, you'll see that the technicians have simulated roots. And all of these positions are determined based on the size and shape of the crown, which gives a pretty good uh, estimate of the root dimension. So in this way, we can get all of these other measurements. And of course, the idea is you would pick the measurement that had the greatest distance or most degrees to move, and that would be the movement that would determine the number of stages. And then all the other stages in between in simultaneous movement just occur uh, along with that. So when you see a situation like this where you're gonna have a lot of rotation on teeth number nine and 10, our typical pattern in the, when we weren't using Simultaneous movement was to basically move all the teeth. These these are the stages, these are the teeth number at the top. And we had this typical V-shaped diagram. And but almost all the tooth, teeth were moving at maximum velocity and then they stopped. Now, what's happened is that they do this as sort of a continuous and we call it simultaneous movement, where uh, all of the teeth are moving from the beginning. To the end, and you can see this, of course, in your toolbar under treatment. The other thing is that companies switched over instead of using linear measurements for measuring rotation. They use degrees, and that's because smaller teeth have shorter radiuses and so the arc would be larger. So you'd have more degrees, and so degrees, of course, is a better way to measure. So that happened, I think, about 2004 or five. I'm not sure, but uh, that's one of the big changes now that helps us track teeth. And it's one of the reasons why you can see a narrower tooth, like a lateral incisor, is a much more difficult tooth to move than a central incisor, which is probably the number one tracking tooth. Question comes up, though, what is the optimal velocity? And I think right now we're using a quarter of a millimeter per linear and no faster than two degrees. That seems to work pretty good. Uh, Tim Wheeler has some interesting data, though, where he shows that as people progress through life, and once you get to be an old boy like me, you better add some aligners. And uh, I think that's pretty good information. So I I tend to accept the ClinCheck staging for teenagers, for example, but I will frequently add anywhere from 5 to 10, sometimes 15 stages on a more difficult treatment, for a middle-aged person, and and if it's an old boy like me, I don't know, we're probably just going to add a whole bunch of stages. So, we've now talked about a number of things that have made uh, this whole thing work better, uh, except for collision detection, and I wanted to tell you that. That was another thing that came along. So, they used to set it at zero, and that meant that a certain amount of the time you'd have a tight contact with a normal uh, standard deviation, and certain time, you'd have an open contact. Well, by setting the space at plus five hundredths of a millimeter, and that's why it should be easy to floss teeth that are undergoing Invisalign, and of course, we always check teeth that are rotating past each other with floss to make sure we do have that uh, not a tight contact, and occasionally do a little polishing if we detect, because even setting it at 500ths there is still a second standard deviation, which may be on the tight side. So you may run into some tight context, or the other thing is you may not have completely done your IPR to the amount specified. But another big one, of course, is SmartTrack. I mean, this, is, this has been a marvelous, marvelous addition to our armamentarium. And of course, the advantage is it's more constant force uh, because it's more elastic, the modulus of elasticity is greater. And it has led to a more precise fit because of these characteristics. And so SmartTrack, when you look at it against the exceed thirty, the old material, you'll see that what happened with exceed thirty, and this is what happened the first few days, the patient said, Boy, that was really tight. And now, doc, after about three or four days, feels like it's not doing anything. Well, now you have an almost even loading throughout the two week cycle. And so that has kept patients from feeling like the aligner is a little dead after three or four days. And I think sometimes causing them to change their aligners or slack off the wear towards the end of the cycle. I'm finding that patient's cooperation is better with this material for that reason. So it's more comfortable and it's easier to get on and off. I put all of the optimized attachments, of course, always on the first stage because they're active. And now with the SmartTrack, it's very easy to get the aligners on and off and has the same aesthetics, same clarity. And this is just an in-house study that Align did where this is exceed uh, 30. And when you applied it to the tooth, there were always spots where it wasn't completely adapted because where it's completely adapted, you see almost a white tooth. Whereas, except for the interproximals, of course, the interproximals are a little rounded off because they can only go in so far. But if you notice, there's a lot less blue dye on these teeth than the conventional material. So SmartTrack does fit better, which is a nice uh, characteristic. And of course, make sure your patients are taking their aligners off and on, especially with deep bites, because you have a, a lot of times a steep curve of speed and it, the aligner can crack at the canine because it's going around the bend at that point, it's a little thinner. So you always have them pop one side, pop the other side, and then work their hands towards the front. That's very, very important. If your patients aren't doing that, you're gonna get some broken aligners. Now also, another thing uh, Mark Perlmuter came up with is how to get less flash, almost no flash. I mean, he should I think he should get the Nobel Prize for that, personally. Um, anyway. Uh, what they do is you prepare the tooth and seal it. Actually, whether it's light or not, but seal it, and then keep it dry and clean. And then you fill the attachment template with a little excess. You put it over the teeth, but don't seed it with a heavy force. Then you can take it off and remove with a sharp instrument the flash, and then reinsert it that second time, but really give a good seating force. Sometimes we have a bite on cotton rolls or chewies and then you do the lighting of connecting it. And if you, I think if you do this, you'll see that the uh, you'll have much less flash. And of course, the chair size assistance can be taught to do this very well. Now, why do we have problems with fit? And fit is very important in a deep overbite because typically there are many stages in a severely deep overbite, maybe 30, 35 stages. And so, towards the end of the treatment, you want to keep that bite force on the anterior. We get plenty of bite force in the back teeth because that's where the powerful muscles of mastication are. And so what you want to do is transfer that powerful seating in the back to the front. and you do that by separating the teeth and then putting one of these little chewies in there, and then biting on that because then you have the power of the posterior muscles pulling together. And, of course, we like to cut the chewy down, round off the corners for a deep overbite because the full chewy is, is kind of large. Of course, we keep the full chewy size for an anterior open bite. And, and chewy is actually a bad name. What, what we really should call these are bite and holds because what you want to do is bite down, hold it for about two minutes, do that about four, five, six times a day. And the way you do the way you get people to do it, you say, I want to see this in your aligner box, and remember it speeds up treatment. I think telling a patient that this will speed up treatment, because when patients do this, they seem to stay very nicely on the two week cycle, even for longer times. Now I talked about that study, the recent study that showed a posterior bite. Why do we have that? Well, because when you bite on aligners, you have an increased interocclusal distance here and of course the mandibles opening on an arc so when you deliver your aligners initially you have heavy force on the molars but what happens within a few weeks though is that this causes the molars to intrude slightly until the front teeth touch and then the problem is though when you take the uh Aligner away at the end, you'll see that sometimes there is a half a millimeter, sometimes as much as a millimeter. And what we do is just wait six or eight weeks, 10 weeks, uh, to see if nighttime wear only will allow the teeth to come together. And that'll do it for up to a millimeter. If it's more than a millimeter, usually we'll cut one of the aligners, the one that hopefully didn't have any expansion or crossbite correction. And then in a rare case, like, cr- correcting a cross crossbite sometimes will actually have a millimeter and a half interocclusal space, in which case I'll probably put some buttons on and run up and down elastics. But you have to deal with the posterior bite. I usually deal with it once we get through the first three or four months of full-time retention. We go uh, to just nighttime, and that's when it'll tend to close in six to ten weeks. Now, if you notice... <laughs> I know you know this because if somebody takes a long time with treatment, you'll get a little message that they're past their time. And I'm getting patients now that are coming back from 2002, 3, and they got off the wagon. You know, they're not wearing their aligners real well. So their aligners aren't fitting very well. So we tell them, did you take out your Invisalign insurance? Because we're telling everybody this. The insurance is saving the last three aligners because teeth relapse the same direction, arch and study and others. So what you do is you just tell them to come in with the three aligners and most of the time if they haven't been wearing them for about a month, you're gonna go back one. They haven't been wearing them three months, you might go back two. I haven't had anybody I had to go three back to, but then you get the one that fits the best and then you move forward. I think if a patient doesn't wear their retainers for a month or two, using the retainers to regain that straightening can be very hard because they're very stiff, because they're thicker. So most of the time this Invisalign insurance I think is a good idea. And of course, I routinely use Vivera with a new scan because in that way, and patients will really, uh, they accept this as an extra charge at the end because I want to surround them with retainers. And you remember I told you, deep bite is one of the most relapse-prone conditions. So Vivera becomes incredibly important when you're in treating uh, deep bite. And I, for years now, uh, since I've been using Grovera and I used it in the trial uh, program, so I've been using it for about, I don't know, five years now, six years. I don't get phone calls, I lost it. That's helped me a lot. Um, remember, Invisalign's easy. Don't do anything to make it harder. And when they call you and say they lost the retainer, that's harder. So what you want to do, again, is get this full-time wear. I've got four to six. You know, we, I, we frequently can't get that. But the idea is go to nighttime indefinitely. You have to say you, you need to wear those until you you don't mind the teeth getting crooked, whatever age that is, maybe 100. And here's a lady I treated back in 2002, got a nice result. She's an RN, very sharp lady. She comes back to see me uh, last year. And, you know, she's, I mean, I put her, I, I follow them for about four or five years on a yearly basis. And then I just say, your retainers break, you know, give me a call. But she came back because she wanted me to look at her retainers to see. I had made her then, even in those days, I made her a couple of them. And she wanted me to look at them see if they were wearing out. See, when you get a patient to that point, and she's also concerned because she didn't, she uses them as night guards. I think it's a very valuable function. So when you get a patient on board like this, they're protecting their teeth, they can bleach them anytime they want, they keep their teeth from wearing down, and they keep them straight. And, and bonded retainers, to me, are less effective because of the, the perio issues and cleaning, but also they're only holding the lower anterior. Maybe you put one on the upper anterior. They're not holding the width. They're not holding crossbite corrections. So I, I think you're better off starting out with clearer, retainers, Vivera, and then only if that doesn't work at nighttime would I think about bonding anything. But 95, 98 percent of the time I get by with Vivera retainers. I I focus on compliance rather than trying to do something like a bonded retainer and then say bye-bye to them. I'd sooner keep them in the practice for those yearly retainer checks. they call it internal marketing. So also uh, what if you know? I found this to be true that in my patients who had fixed, they didn't wear their Hawley retainers near as well as the Invisalign patients are wearing their aligners. Why is that? Well, it's the same. It's it's less of the same. In other words, for an Invisalign patient, go to nighttime wear. That's the deal. They're already used to wearing them. Whereas you give a patient a Hawley, and they're already they want to get out of those braces anyway. Uh, I mean, when was the last time somebody said, gee, could you keep those braces on a little bit longer? And, of course, Halley's have more speech issues. And and I had my problems with bonded retainers. Um, I did them for many years, and now I'm just back to using uh, the Vivera retainers. And only in the rare case for a severely rotated incisor, I might do a little bonding. So that's the point, nothing new to get used to. So I think you'll find that compliance is very good with Invisalign. That's gonna be a very interesting study. So let's get into some of these other improvements like the Teen product, the Turbos, and Vivera retainers. And the Teen product, of course, has these compliance indicators, which I'll talk about in a second. You get some extra aligners, which I really never needed. Well, one time they got lost in the mail, so we sent some new ones. I don't use the eruption tabs because they usually wait for the second molars to be in. And the other thing is if you show the adult, they say, this says teen on the box. And you say, yeah, but you look so young. Of course I'm going to give you the teen. How could I not give you the teen? You're so young and beautiful. You can sell that. (laughs) Everybody wants to feel good. Okay. Now. So teenagers, actually, I remember when I had to lie on the form, and, you know, I had a 14-year-old or something, and I had to put that they were 18 in the beginning for the first few years because they didn't want to do it on, on teenagers. Sort of interesting. But basically, what I knew about teenagers compared to adults was that I just get better results. They're quicker. I have more control over cooperation with Invisalign because what... It's going to happen to them if they don't cooperate wearing the retainers. We put braces on them. And all you've got to do is set that light out there with a card of brackets on it and say, today's the day. And they will invariably, if they want it, Invisalign, I mean, you have to screen them, of course, for somebody who wants Invisalign. But you also have to present Invisalign. We present it to all the patients, and we let them see the difference, feel the difference on the models. Now, the compliance indicators vary between patients. But they're remarkably consistent on uh, Dr. Tungjai from Temple, uh, he did a study and found out that they're pretty standard among patients. So the best cooperation you get is in the beginning. So I routinely, I only do teams, unless it's an express case, which I rarely get. Uh, And what you want to look for is a color change where it either goes to this, usually the right side is the faster one, And then, uh, and you can use this. You know, I tell the patients a little camera sitting in your mouth watching how much you're wearing the aligners. And so what we do is record. It turns faint blue. It goes away. But uh, on that first or second visit, you're going to get a pretty good reading of how that thing changes. So if you use them that way, to me, they're well worth the 50 bucks. Although I wish they were free. Now, let's show some cases. Okay, this is a case I published in the JCO in 2007. She was treated back at the beginning of 2003. And very, very deep bite. She's a teenager, kind of getting ready to go off to college. And uh, we got a very nice result. But if you notice now, look at the teeth. You see how they're kind of vertical, though the interincisal angle is not what I would have wanted. And that's because I didn't have power ridges in. you know, and we, we, we use uh, horizontal beveled attachments, and, and, you know, of course, that was always the problem, uh, you know, with the aesthetics, because they were kind of big. So let's look at that ClinCheck here. And keep in mind, this is an old ClinCheck. We usually, of course, we're leveling the lower curve of speed, and uh, what we're doing in this, now there were small laterals, that's why there's IPR. And of course, these attachments would be replaced by a horizontal bevel attachment on the first buys now. So we'll get rid of those attachments. And basically, what you're doing when you do this is you're leveling the lower curve of speed. And of course, the other thing that you're doing, you're intruding them. And in this case, you're gonna get a lot of it'll be it'll happen because it's tipping but you see i'm going to get less than 100 percent of this because there is some torquing involved here so without power ridges or without attachments i'm probably going to get some upright incisors and that's also true on the upper let's go back and look at that one again because all these are going to be about the same and i don't have bike turbos in this yet either so we're doing a lot of intrusion but we're not going to get as good an inter-incisal angle. It's a little more vertical in, in our end product. So, and this was the case I showed you in the beginning, very nice aesthetic changes in the face. And on the cephalometrics, we showed that we got lots of intrusion, which we wanted, and but very little torque, okay? And the lower, it was mostly tipping. So the idea is, the appliance did a good job here with a deep bite probably because she was a teenager very cooperative and but i didn't get the torque that i wanted so it's a vertical insurance size language she's good about wearing a retainer so she's still doing fine after but now we've got something that i think can increase your predictability and these of course are from uh, bill geary and uh, dave paquette they've been using them for quite a while in north carolina and I think the only problem they run into, I think they say, shoot people who chew tobacco, sometimes they're in North Carolina, Those good old boys come in and they get a little stain on their attachments on the, on the lingual. I think that's right. Isn't that right, Dave Paquette and Bill Gary? You're probably not on the phone. You already know this stuff. So anyway, these are some you can, and, and we like to use wider ones. I like to use ones that are wide, like on a central five millimeters wide. They're horizontal beveled attachments and you place them virtually, you have to tell them these are going to be filled, not filled with composites. Because if you have power ridges on the labial and they think you're gonna put attachments here, they will tell you, you can't do that. So, and the idea is you set them where the lower incisors come in contact. And then they serve as a soft turbo. Now they're much more comfortable and don't have speech difficulties like hard turbos do when I do fixed appliances. So if you look here, again, you'll see this is what it looks like when you do the treatment overview, but they're not placed. So let's look at this. This was the case I showed you in the beginning. Uh, this young man, uh, he's still growing, very smart young kid, came in, wanted Invisalign, did his research on the internet. He's class one, but he's got a very deep bite. So let's look at his uh, clin Now the difference is I had uh, power ridges for the upper, <laughs> unfortunately, and of course at that point I didn't have those new uh, attachments that John Morton's team came, came up with. We I used a vertical rectangular one, and of course what that was, it was almost a wedging effect, and these tended to always be behind, and you needed to use dimple pliers frequently with them. I don't use dimple pliers on the new optimized attachment. So what we're doing here is the same thing that you saw in the previous check. The only difference is, in this case, I'll get in a few here, and you'll see those turbos. Now, I might have placed them a little higher to start. But here we go towards the end. And what I want you to look at is the lingual. Now, these are not filled with composites. So let's go back and look at that again. I think this has made a nice change. So you, what I'm going to show you in the next patient is that I look at it and I place them on a real deep bite like this, a little closer to the gingiva initially, and then I have them move as the uh, bite open. You can move them, you know, one time, two times, three times, as much as you you want. And and there's a new protocol where hopefully this will actually happen automatically in the next year or so. Uh, a line is working on that. So these would just be a checkoff point. Now, if you notice, I didn't put them on the canine. And Bill Geary told me, and I, I, I'll I, show you a case coming up with that. Uh, boy, is that a good idea? Because sometimes you may have a little overjet. So, but the canines most of the time are, are touching. So you, you put the bite turbos on the canines too. So I'm now pretty much routinely trying to put them on all six anterior teeth and and with the power ridges now of course what i'm doing here on the lower is i'm using these attachments to grab the tooth to try and put some torque in and you can torque teeth with these attachments the problem is that that's a lot of attachments especially if you do them on the upper anteriors and the power ridges of course have have no uh, don't have that Now, I probably, I added stages to this, but I think if this is a teenager, I'd probably keep the original stages, which were about 28. I added about 10 stages, and that was because of my experience with these attachments lagging behind and so forth. Uh, But now, I think if I was doing this on a teenager, I'd probably keep it at the original 28 stages. Now, let's see how much torque we got. So, here he is. Uh, one set of aligners, and I mean, you know, what easier thing could you have in your life than that? I mean, he gets six aligners every time he comes in, pat him on the head say, boy, they're fitting great. You're cooperating. Wow, wonderful. What do you do? Well, You say, what, what are you doing this summer? Um, could you feel guilty just walking up saying, give him six aligners and walking away? Now, what I want to show you, though, if you're critical, you'll see that the lower incisors, I didn't torque them enough. And I think now I did get some torque on the upper incisors, of course, because the, these were all very severely retro inclined. And here's the the uh, set showing the difference. And, of course, this looks like there's more torque. This actually got close to the 130 degrees. And you can see quite a bit of torque. Uh, we asked for 25, and we got 20. So I don't expect to get 100 percent, but I can approach Certainly 80 or 90 percent it seems in teenagers. I'm getting a feel for that now. So, again, I'm increasing stages on people over 21, usually, you know, 5 percent or so. And then people over 40, maybe 10 percent. Just a little arbitrary, but there is some data to show that the teeth slow down in their movement, their ability to respond to the aligners as you go into middle age, especially. And again, that's Tim Wheeler's work. So here's the case from Bill Geary. Now, you tell me, is that a correction or what? (laughs) I mean, this is the one I said, severe wear. Uh, I mean, this is an amazing correction because the dentist wants to get space to put veneers and crowns on these things. So, I mean, this is a really good result. And one of the things that helped do it, though, were these canines where you see the arrow, the canine turbos, because you got... lift off right away and again if there's overjet these canine turbos are worth their weight in gold so here's another one very deep bite Uh, she's got her head up a little bit you know on this frontal but you can see it's it's probably you know 90% overbite and uh, but she's brachiocephalic now that's what I would look wide mandible very broad mandible obviously very strong uh, masculatory muscles and in my the studies I did back in Florida, I showed you that slide early uh, with Charlie Gibbs, Parker Mahan. We measured uh, as much as 1,500 pounds per square inch on a person who has very heavy jaws. Um, so let's look at the check on this one. Because in this one, you'll see the, uh, the turbos will move. So here we are. And, you know, about 80% uh, deep bite. And you can see, you see, if you look up here, you can see the turbos are placed very gingerly initially, and they're contacting the lowers. You always want to look on the inside. So this is more my protocol now, except these are not on the canine. So now let's watch it. Here they are. Oh, you see them move? Okay. So what I'm doing is, as the bite opens, I'm moving those turbos. And John Morton seems to think that he can do that, you know, set up an automatic function. Because again, now I'm over correcting. I'm correcting this to a shallow zero degree overbite. And why do I do that? Because I expect to get a little less. I expect, in this case, probably to get about a millimeter and a half less. So let's see what I got. But that's what I would expect to get. Now maybe if I had more cases with the turbos on the canines, maybe I could get that uh, that far open. But again, it's the same deal. You look at that lower curvis B. This is a standard retention attachment put on the superimposition. Play it, and you'll see. Now in this case, we didn't have lower turbos yet. She had uh, or power ridges. She had upward power ridges, but not on the lower. Okay, And most of the time, you want to do most of the bite opening on the lower arch based on the incisor display. But if somebody's showing 80% upper incisor, you don't want to intrude the upper incisors unless it's just getting incisal edges level. So that is uh, how we actually move them. Now here she is during treatment. She's a very good patient. She's using Chewy's. And again, I say, you know, when they're in, I say, you got the chewies in your uh, your case there, and and cut them off, round them off on these deep bites. And uh so we got basically just about what I thought. I, I mean if I was looking at this now, uh I got I got about 70 percent of the torque I put in on this patient. And so what would I do differently now? I might have anticipated because she's brachiocephalic, she's in her late twenties. I might have added uh, a few more stages of torque. In other words, say I added uh, started with 25, maybe I'm going to go to 30 or 35, but to get a little bit more acute interincisal angle, as you see here on the right side. And so she did pretty good. So, but again, if I had it to do over again, I would have asked probably probably for 35, and uh, and I didn't uh, ask for it on the lower incisors because it was just a new thing then the uh, power ridges in fact they weren't released yet when this one was done i think so i could do a better job on this case now with more uh, torque uh apply probably another five to ten degrees and of course that increases the stage because that dictates the uh, number of stages because the torquing movement on the upper was the lead movement meaning that it dictated the number of stages so here's another lady now i said i talked to you about class twos this is one i treated with one of the residents uh, in fact the last two patients were patients i treated with the residents we have the residents do moderate to severe cases here they really learn how to do invisalign when they're in our program and you can see this one really pretty severe retro inclination a class two division two Started class one-ish on this side. And, of course, how do you do this? Well, the way my protocol now, in fact, that you've seen, that, you know, your rep should be handing out these class two protocols. I mean, have them right next to your computer. They're beautiful. But what I do is distalize here. And the moment you distalize and end on, you're going to be about 30, 35 stages. And that's about the right amount. Don't cut that down. Because in this case, you're going to want 35 degrees of torque, maybe maybe even a little more. And so, because again, she's an adult, and so she's going to not have, the teeth won't move as fast. I won't get quite the same expression of the movement, at least when it comes to torque and bite opening. She is also quite brachiocephalic, as you can see, very heavy uh, jaw muscles, deep bite, and, uh, you know, very mild, uh, class two. Uh, and so, but if you look at the mandible, kind of broad mandible. So now let's look and see what the clinch check looks like. It's just like the other ones, except I'm managing an end on class two on the right side. So, what am I doing? There's two ways you can do this. You can do it as a bite jump at the end, like that which I don't do anymore. I pretty much agree with Clark Koval. I think this is about a three millimeter correction. And I don't. I think you wind up wearing elastics more times than not at the end of the treatment, past the end, if you try and do three millimeters. So I backed off of that. And I'll only do a bite jump at the end to get it class one, do you see that? So that's how I got my class one. In your instructions, you're putting match midlines no overjet class one canines and molars but what i would have done differently this time is i would have done distalization, and that would have probably been another four five six stages and of course then i would have increased the uh, torque on those incisors and again i didn't have lower power ridges at this time so i'm using the other attachments this attachment is here i you know. If you look at it pre-treatment, I put an attachment like this to try and torque. and when you spread that over 30, 35 stages, you're probably gonna get it, because you have a lot of bite force in the posterior holding that aligner on. So that's how we get the class two, and I have a recourse starting, I start elastics usually at stage three. So stage, first stage, they get the first two aligners, put on the attachments, uh, and then I have my precision hook. This is still a button. And I'm now using a cutout in the back because I'm finding that if you use a precision hook back here, sometimes you can get a liner lift with the elastic goes, the hook to the aligner. Whereas up here, you usually have more attachments. So I, then I put a five millimeter horizontal bevel attachment on here for retention if I use the precision hook here. But you know what, I've stopped doing that. It's just easier get the cutout, put the buttons on once, the assistants can place them because it's, or it's an indirect bonding. It's just they put it right in the center of the hole in the aligner. And then I don't have to put the extra attachment here. Now, why do I put the elastic? Why do I go from the second molar to the first premolar? The reason is because, you know, Invisalign patients are here for aesthetics. I'm moving the elastic back because I think that... Uh, it will be more aesthetic and i don't have problems when i use the precision hooks now i don't have problems with rotation another reason why i went to the premolar was that i could control the rotation because you have the lingual coverage of the aligner uh, holding that lingual cusp and uh, but now i would use a precision hook and so here we are we're getting our our class one you can see we've gotten two of the So this is going on throughout the treatment. But again, I think I would do this with distalization now. I think three millimeters is probably, uh, you know, anything more than two millimeters uh, distalize it. it. It changes, it increases the number of stages and that's not a bad thing to do. Better to increase the number of stages during treatment than to have the patient continue to wear elastics after they're done. Because, you know, that's when cooperation is going to start to fall off, is when the teeth are straight. So not much change in her face. And, of course, even though we're doing uh, torquing movements on the incisors and everything, no rounding off. uh, That's what Glenn Samashima said when he reported his study from USC. That even the little pointed roots didn't change. That was his comment. And, again, brachiocephalic patient. You can see that my old open bite here. Now, how much did she change? Well, she got a fair amount of change, and, but still only about half, okay? So, you know, again, how much overcorrection should you put? Well, again, as an adult, I'm going to basically plan on getting no more than 70% and probably add a little bit more. So I'm probably planning on 50% when I look at the final check. I wanna get a more acute interincisal angle because I, I feel like I'm not gonna get that torque in an adult. However, in a teenager, I'll, I pretty much stick with that one degree per stage and, and I treat them to a more ideal interincisal angle. But you can also see that the upper incisor to SN also reflects the same uh degrees of change as the uh, upper incisor to na the numbers in red so here we are you can see that very nice torque changes very nice uh and we had those attachments on the label so we got some uh, you know torque here but i have been using the uh power ridges on the lower now they seem to work equally well with the upper and of course you don't have any attachments on them so we got some intrusion open device got that nice Uh, interincisal angle that you can see there and now I want to show you a bilateral now at this point though I'm not going to show you any more clinchecks. I'm just going to run through some cases and because I think you've got it you know you the steps so to speak so but in this case she is kind of class two on this side a little bit and more class two on this side so but we're going to do the same thing now she's an adult Uh, i think she's in her late 20s early 30s very upright incisors here she is uh, at a case refinement now i did get a very nice uh, i believe we did yeah we did distillation on this one because it was more than three millimeters at the time now i'd do it if it was more than two and you can see got a very nice socked in uh, occlusion here but i would say i'm under torqued on the incisors so I think you have to look at these cases very critically, and of course, one way to not worry about torque is to not take this picture. If you don't take that picture, you you won't have many problems with torque because you can't really see torque from the front. And I say that kind of facetiously because that's where the rubber hits the road is when you look at the teeth like that. And I I, I needed more torque, so here she is after uh, her second uh group of aligners and uh, but she burned out towards the end and and didn't finish all the aligners so so that's about as far as we got we got a nice the, the class one uh, correction in the posteriors but uh, because she had a lot of attachments this is before power Ridge. She had a lot of attachments on the uh, incisors during treatment so here's her uh stages you know end on fully corrected uh Light Class three, you really look at the canines. The canines are completely uh, end-on. But as the bite opens, that canine relationship, of course, will improve as you level the lower curve of speed. And uh, one other thing I do want to just point out again is that you always want to look at those upper incisors. Now, let's look at her in the beginning. I want to just show you. Why is that not going back? Come on, go back. There we go. And you see, in this case, I could do a little bit of leveling of the incisors, but almost all of the bite opening based on the smile now, because you want to have the smile arc, and obviously the canine needs to come down. There's some things that need to be done to match this lower smile arc, but I really don't want to intrude those upper incisors because, of course, that can age a person. And she looks pretty good. She's got a little bit better smile here. She's done some bleaching of her teeth, which we routinely include. You can see that towards the end, a little wider teeth. I usually start them out though, and she's been doing some, but in the end, she uh, did a little more. So now I want to shift gears a little bit, and talk about deep bites, how you can use them in other types of cases, like a pre-restorative case. And so here again, let's go back. Always look at that smile. Now you really don't want to intrude those upper incisors. So the way you're going to open the bite on this patient is leveling that lower curve of speech. now she's worried she's getting some lower incisor crowding and eventually she's going to get some new veneers here or crowns and so we did the alignment oh, wait let me just go back one sorry yeah here it is here's pre and post but this is pre final restorative so we got got some bite opening about two millimeters but now i would have probably opened that bite a little bit more just building a little bit more correction in it but probably from a functional point of view most of the restorative dentists say you need about three or four millimeters of overbite for really good incisal guidance so here she is at the end and then she got the new veneers so what i'm doing here of course is to satisfy patients chief complaint about lower incisor crowding because the reason why lower incisors crowd is because over time, the, the lower arch form, the bite gets deeper and the perimeter decreases. And the lower incisors are the first ones to overlap. Let's just go back and look at that. The lower incisors are the first teeth to relapse because of the size of the proximal contact. And so when you, lower incisors are leaning back and this is maybe late mandibular growth or just settling, they lean back lingually. You can see that, how they are leaned back, that they tend to move into a smaller perimeter. And when they move into a smaller perimeter, the contacts are gonna start slipping, especially on lower incisors because they're very small contacts. So here we are, and you can see there's been some IPR done here. Now, IPR in a case like this is a very good idea because you broaden and flatten the contacts, so I tell the patient that I didn't do any more smoothing between these teeth than would have happened from the natural wear of the teeth interproximal. I think I tell patients that, that you're not doing anything with this IPR that wouldn't have happened by nature anyway if these teeth hadn't slipped contact and they could wear. So that's another type of a case. You know, one thing I find I, I never have a problem with, you know, When I did these cases with fixed, I always had to take a panel at the end to see if I, you know, moved any roots the wrong direction because of my bonding. When you want to leave the back teeth alone, oh, boy, you can really leave them alone with Invisalign. Whereas I had a harder time doing that because of bracket placement, especially where there were gold crowns, porcelain crowns, and, you know, things were breaking. So not too much change here, just mostly uh, a little bit intrusion and leveling. Here she is five years later. She's holding up very nicely. She looks good. Luckily, her dentist didn't tell her that, uh, you know, that this is uh, an awful looking thing. You know, that these restorations were fine. Uh, and so she got just the ones that she felt she needed. She's not concerned about the recession. I mean, the aesthetic life of anterior restorations is about 10 to 15 years. So that's why anytime you could straighten them, bleach them, reshape them, and all that, and let the patient go with their own teeth, I'm always going to do that, rather than jumping in and doing veneers. But in this case, she already had the veneers there. Now, another case, deep bite, um, you know, class one, small laterals, and in this case, what we're going to do, this was published if you want to see it. I have a lot more detail on this one in the compendium. Which you can look up online. That's available online. Uh, and of course, I had the wrong size space here because this tooth had to go. So, of course, we had a pontic for her during treatment. And this is her after the treatment, one year. So, what we did, we leveled the lower curvus B, lined up, you know, then we created uh, a little bit of overjet. There's some overjet, but we did have to intrude the uppers a bit. But the day that tooth came out, of course, you know the aligner goes right in there with the tooth-colored material in it. And then she also had a little stay plate, which she wore when she went to a restaurant. She'd take out her aligner and put the little stay plate in there so that she could eat without her aligner in. So this is just incorporating the same things, only putting in some restorative uh, work with it. Same deal on the bottom. Interproximal reduction to broaden and flatten the contacts. Pretty nice. Had a, had a ridge augmentation here. Nice result with the implant. Very aesthetic. Here's the implant the, uh, after treatment. Here's the superimposition showing lots of intrusion. And, and in these days, of course, I was using the horizontal beveled attachments to try and get the torque. So I really didn't get very much torque. I didn't need too much on top. Uh, and on the lower, you know, maybe, you know, eight or ten degrees, but not really a whole lot. But luckily, I didn't need a whole lot. So here she is at the end, and uh, got posterior. Excuse me, she's contacting here. But sometimes, you know, and I don't necessarily worry about the buckle cusp if there's a little space, as long as I can put some blue paper in there and see the centric supporting cusp touching the fossa on the lower but you may want to take it a little further. See, to take it further, you're probably going to have to use some up and down elastics to pull that buckle cusp down and over. Now, my final case I'm going to show you here, and we'll end it in just a few minutes, um, is a case also published in the compendium, which essentially has four hopeless incisors and and a molar that literally had to be extracted quick. But the guy wanted to save his teeth. So what I did for this guy, and this is another way to treat a very deep overbite, because sometimes you bite deepens because of periodontal reasons. So in this case, I went and reshaped those teeth and shortened them quite a bit. And in this case, I'm following kind of the long axis. The tooth was tipped. And, uh, you know, I'm using a vertical rectangular attachment then to try and upright that. Now we have the, the uh, D4 attachments to that. And so by doing this, though, another thing you do is by shortening these, rounding off, and polishing them initially, you open the bite. You open the bite a couple of millimeters or more, and then uh, also you get a much better path of draw for the aligner. And, of course, with scanning now, uh, you know, PVS impressions were always tough on these patients as well. But this is just showing that here he is uh, treatment so this is actually seven years he was almost three years in treatment and we maintained the uh, distance we leveled the teeth and of course these teeth move pretty well because they have a very long uh, crown to root ratio but anyway we preserved the bone he's doing pretty good you can see here he is four years later i saw this guy recently and he's about six and a half seven years now holding up and he's just got clear retainers and now the uh wants to do an implant here a ridge a sinus uh lift and a uh, an implant there which you know he wasn't going to do at first because of the perio so what do we do today well we talked about deep overbite correction why it's important and there are functional and aesthetic reasons maybe it helps stability there's modest evidence that it can correct deep bite in the literature and Torque Roots, so ent- evidence is emerging, there's a lot of other studies going on that I, I'm aware of, including one here on teens at our school, and so there's, but what I wanted to really bring to your attention is that the deep bite treatment, you know, on the ClinCheck, so to speak, make the right diagnosis, most of the time you're going to level the lower curve of speed primarily, but what's happening is you have all these other improvements. The scanning, the attachment, so all the other stuff works a lot better. The turbos have helped the correction, keeping on track. I find that I, with the turbo, I don't have to do the three-week and four-week change. But I'm also compensating because I'm making sure I have enough aligners in the beginning based on the patient's age, I'll add for uh, adults and for middle-aged or older people. Power Ridge is wonderful, wonderful innovation. Smart track materials made things so much better. And, of course, better tracking for the collisions, teen appliance. I like the compliance indicators. And Vivera, to me, has been an absolutely magnificent way to avoid problems. So my opinion here, this is where my generalization, these changes led, for me, in my practice and also our study group, fewer case refinements and mid-course corrections
0: with greater predictability for deep-bite correction. All right. Well, Dr. Boyd, thank you so much. Um, A couple of quick reminders. Please go to the link that's on your screen right now to take your survey and get your CE certificate. One week from today, this entire program will be archived on the Education tab in your Invisalign Doctor site. I wanted to thank Dr. Boyd again for a great presentation and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us and we look forward to seeing you on another Ask Extra webinar. Thanks very much.